Sunday, where the church, universal, and then as we gather together to sing the song of taunt against death. You remember that call from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Beloved, we are alive because Christ Jesus is alive. All that we hope for, all that we have, everything that we long to be true is in fact true because the Lord Jesus Christ came and lived and gave his life on the cross and then three days later by the good hand and the power of God, he raised him eternally from the dead. And so beloved, as a result of that, there is much cause for rejoicing and celebration. I pray that your hearts have been readied and prepared for this moment as we come to sing together, to hear from God's Word together, just to be with one another as the corporate people of God, getting just a foretaste, just a small little taste of an eternal glory divine that is ours and that is eternally true because of our resurrected Lord and Savior. Let me pray. And we'll get started with our time of worship together this morning. Oh God, we love you and we thank you. God, our hearts soar, our hearts, oh God, rejoice because of the goodness of what we celebrate on this day. God, the goodness that Christ came and he lived a sinless life for us. Living that sinless life that we could never live so that he might be the perfect substitute on the cross for our sins. Oh, what grace is there. But Father, You never intended for Your Son, nor would it even be possible for the God-man Jesus Christ to stay dead for all eternity. And so God, three days later, at dawn on the first day of the week, You raised Your Son imperishable and incorruptible from the dead. And when the stone was rolled away, and when our Savior strode out of that empty tomb, there was life. Eternal life. As He strode out of that tomb, He did so as the victor over sin and over sin's greatest consequence, that of death. And so God, today, Your people live. God, today, it is possible for those who are still bound up in the chains of their sin, spiritually dead, God, it is possible for them to live this day. So Lord, as we sing, as we gather before Your Holy Word, God, as we fix our eyes on our resurrected Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, oh God, move among us. God, move in our hearts. By Your Spirit in this place, God, we don't have to ask for the Spirit to be here. God, He indwells the hearts of Your people. God, we don't have to ask Your Spirit to be here, God, because we know that You have placed Your Spirit here to do the work that I cannot do, that we cannot do, God, which is to move into the hearts of those who must know You. So God, as we stand and as we sing and as we delight in You this morning, God, You alone are worthy. God, You alone are great. God, thank You so much for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray all these things. 
Amen. Amen. Church family, let's stand as we continue in worship. It all hailed the power of Jesus' name. The angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the
amen and amen. Church, let me invite you to take God's Word and join me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24 this morning as we read Luke's Gospel account of the resurrection. If you are able, would you remain standing with me for the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12 this morning. Luke 24, verses 1 to 12, and as we hear from the Word of the Lord this morning, we ask and we pray that God would take this eternal truth and write it upon our hearts. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Beloved, would you be seated? And as you do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. God, I pray that it would be in our hearts today that like Peter, we would stoop and look in. God, that we, as it were, would look in to the empty grave and find there only linen wrappings. There is no body. Jesus is not there. And God, that like Peter, we would marvel at this. God, that it wouldn't just be a story that we've heard 50 times. But God, that it would be what grips our heart, our attention, our affections this morning. God, that we would find the beauty, the glory, and the necessity of the risen Christ. It is not merely enough, as we will see later in Corinthians, Father, it is not merely enough that Christ would come and die. It must also be that He would be raised from the dead. This is why so many times as we read in God's Word, we find the instruction from You, O oh God, that He must die and be raised again. God, help us to see the beauty of this this morning. God, I pray that our hope would be found not in ourselves. God, that our hope would not be found in even something good like gathering in this room this morning. But God, that our hope would be in Christ, in the risen, reigning, ruling, and returning Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
We pray all this in His name. Amen. Praise the Lamb that was 
Amen. Church family, let's stand as we continue in worship, as we sing next, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, this wonderful mystery of Christ dying for us, though we are so undeserving of it. We did nothing to deserve it. He died for us.
Amen. Church family, you may be seated. If you would join me, let's go in, go in prayer to the Lord. Father God, I thank you. God, thank you for this day to celebrate. From beginning to end, your plan has been that your son would come to save. Thank you, Lord, for your glorious grace. No person could have made up what you have done. That you, Lord, from beginning of time, set forth that you would send your son. And that even in the garden, as you were unsurprised, that you have begun revealing from that point forward to us, as we've seen a little bit more and more of the curtain, of your intention that you would make right what we have wronged. Glory to you. May you be glorified in this time, in this moment. God, that you would be exalted as you rightly deserve. God, you are in control. You are the Lord of all things. And so, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day to celebrate what you have done. We don't deserve a bit but it is by your good pleasure that you have set forth to send your son to save and that you as a first fruits among your creatures have brought forth people by faith in the grace of your son Jesus. And so Father, would you speak to us this, this morning? May we see so clearly who you are. May we see your kindness and your love May we see the generosity of, of you bearing our sin, Lord Jesus, upon yourself. That we would see so clearly in your word that light would cast out darkness and that, that we would see the witness of your grace in Scripture this morning. That we would know clearly who you are. We would, Lord, the thoughts and the, the beliefs, the assumptions that we have that are incorrect, that God, you would correct them this morning. That God, you would make clear to us who we are and who you are. And that Father, you by your Spirit would draw us to a place of repentance and faith in the risen Son, Jesus. That God, we would know you clearly and that we would be placed rightly as we should before your throne, before the cross, in humility and in repentance. Finding You a kind, gracious Lord who has placed the justice that we deserve upon Yourself, upon Your Son. So Father, would You speak? Would You be glorified this morning? We thank You and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you take God's Word and join me this morning in 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we'll study together this morning here from the Word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 12 to 19 is our text, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 12 to 19. Again, we are so glad that you are here with us. If you are visiting with us this morning, we are so thrilled that you are here. Uh, if we did not get a chance to talk with you while you made your way in, please 
see us on the way out, out in the lobby. We would just love to say hello and, and get to know you just a little bit on, on this Lord's Day. Just such a real privilege to be able to celebrate this, our, uh, our first Resurrection Sunday with you guys. Just so much joy in my heart and the heart of my family as we gather with you on this Lord's Day. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 19. One of the many errors that is plaguing the Corinthian church. And Paul, in writing 1 Corinthians, writes to address just many of the errors that are taking place there in the life of that church. One of the the primary errors that is being dealt with was a faulty belief that there was no physical, literal, bodily resurrection of the dead after you die. And then the ramifications of that being that there was then no literal, physical, bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That had become very much so over a long period of time in this culture that had sort of become the norm. To, to scoff at the idea that there was a bodily resurrection of the dead and then to scoff even more when the gospel begins to be preached to say that our salvation is contingent upon the, the one man, Jesus Christ, rising from the dead. You might recall the moment in Acts chapter 17, Paul is giving a defense of the Word of God there to the learned men of Mars Hill in Athens, Greece. And at the very end of that text, in chapter 17, verse 31, as Paul has mentioned to them the resurrection, it says that they begin to sneer at him. Paul, this is absolute foolishness. That there would be a resurrection of the dead, number one, and that salvation from our sins would come through a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. And so then the idea became that any talk of a resurrection has nothing to do with literal or physical bodily resurrection, but that's only spiritual language. That only happens in a spiritual sense. And sadly, as is apt to do if we are not on guard, that error begins to find its way into the life of the church at Corinth. And they begin to believe, some of them, that these things are actually true. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is going to devote 58 masterful verses to talk about, to think about, and to defend the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this masterful defense, we see many, many proofs that Jesus actually, literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead. In chapter 15, we see all the hope that is ours because of Christ's resurrection. And in our text this morning of verses 12 to 19, we see here, beloved, the absolute necessity, the absolute necessity of Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead and the absolute necessity of believing these things. And so in light of the text this morning, I think there are several questions that I would want us just to roll around in our brains and to be thinking about as we come to the text 
this morning. Questions like, do you believe? Do you, in the pew this morning, do you actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you know why you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you know why it is necessary to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe it is necessary for the church, for the pulpit, to believe and to to preach and to teach these things? Do you know, church, what is at stake if Jesus has not risen from the dead? And that is before us in the text this morning. And I want us to see together five reasons why the resurrection of Jesus is necessary. Five reasons why the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is, in fact, necessary for us this morning. Look at the text with me, starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, We are, of all men, most to be pitied. Five reasons why the resurrection of Jesus is necessary. Here's my prayer, beloved. My prayer for us this week, this morning, has been that God, in His Word, would move in our hearts to show us the beauty and the necessity of all that we celebrate on this day. So that when you leave here, it is more than a good feeling. It is more than just a nice day. But that your heart be gripped. Gripped. And more and more and more in love with a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. Number one, first reason, the resurrection is necessary because if Jesus is still dead, preaching is pointless. If Jesus is still dead, this moment right here, we are absolutely wasting our time if Jesus is still dead. Look in verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? I want you to consider the first part of verse 12 with me for just a moment. At the very heart of the apostles' preaching and teaching, at the very heart of the faithful church over the last 2,000 years, and at the heart 
of current day faithful preaching is the biblical truth that Jesus both died for our sins and was raised to life by the Father on the third day. We'll think a little bit more about that in a moment, but I want you just to look up to the opening verses of chapter 15. Verses 1 to 3. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Watch this, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that, here it is, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. At the heart of Paul's preaching, at the heart of Peter's preaching, at the heart of apostolic preaching, at the heart of modern day faithful biblical preaching is the central reality of first importance. Our antennas should go up when we hear that. Because there are a lot of things that crave for your attention and demand to have first place in your life. They proclaim to you these things are important. Spend your life, your time, your effort, your energy here. We want to just combat that according to the Word of God and and say that what we must give our lives to, what we must believe, of first importance is that Jesus died and was risen again. By the time Paul visits the church at Corinth, by the time he writes his epistles to the Corinthians, the standard of faithful, right gospel preaching was the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, at the end of verse 12, Paul asks a very relevant question. If it has been preached to you that Jesus has been raised from the dead, how is it? End of verse 12. How is it that some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Period. General. Again, this is the cultural malaise, one of the cultural malaise of of, of the day. Just wrapped up in this idea, this misunderstanding, this false belief, there is no bodily resurrection of the dead. Paul says, we've been preaching to you. We've been preaching over and over and over at the very heart of every sermon that we preach is the crucified and risen Savior. So how is it that some among you now say there is no resurrection of the dead? What begins to unfold in verses 13 and following is an airtight, logical response to that question. How? Can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Watch what happens in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, think about this, Corinthians. Not even Christ has been raised. Paul begins to show them the ramifications of this false belief. If you believe that there is no bodily resurrection of the dead, you just live you die, your body gets buried, and that's just kind of it. Then think about this church. If that's true, 
then not even, verse 13, not even Christ has been raised. And then you come to verse 14. Another layer to Paul's defense of the resurrection of Jesus. Because here's what I think Paul is anticipating at the end of verse 13. That there would be some who would say, okay, so Jesus is still dead. Why does that really matter? What's the big deal about that? Why are we making such a big deal about this, Paul? Why does this have to be of first importance? Why do you keep preaching about this? What's the necessity here, Paul? And Paul begins to unpack that at the beginning of verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Jesus is still dead. Our preaching is pointless. That word vain there in verse 14, it means fruitless. It means to serve no purpose. It's just a fruitless, pointless exercise. Nothing good or profitable comes from it. Earlier in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15, we read that preaching is actually the human means that God uses to deliver the message of the Gospel so that people would be able to both hear and believe. You remember Paul's argument in that text. How will they call upon the name of the Lord if they have, how will they believe if they have not heard? And how will they hear unless they have a what? Unless they have a preacher. Somebody to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And Paul says here in verse 14 that if Jesus is still dead, then preaching, it doesn't actually accomplish anything. It's just an exercise, and you out there in the pew are just wasting your time. Because if Jesus is still dead... The means that God has appointed to bring His people to a knowledge of the truth, there's nothing in it. There's no fruits. It is a pointless exercise. Because preaching heralds the good news that sinful man has been reconciled to a holy God through the life, death, and resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ. If Jesus is still in the tomb, then there's no good news. There's nothing to talk about here. There is, in fact, no good news at all. There is no power in preaching to save. There is no power in preaching to sanctify. If Jesus' bones are still in a cave in the Middle East, then He does not even merit a sermon. But, Jesus' bones are not still in a cave in the Middle East. Jesus Christ is alive And preaching is powerful. And God saves His people by the preaching of the Word. Not because the preacher is powerful, but because of the power of a resurrected Savior. That's why this moment has some punch to it. 
That's why when you open up God's Word, even on your own, there is power in that moment as God's Word begins to course through your spiritual veins. Not because the guy in the pulpit is anything, but because there is a resurrected Savior who is everything. And all power comes from and through and and is unto Him. But let it get a little more personal for us this morning. Look at the second half of verse 14. And here we see the second reason why the resurrection is necessary. Maybe you can justify in your heart that you could kind of do with or without preaching. So let it get a little personal then at the end of verse 14. The second reason why the resurrection is necessary is that because if Jesus is still dead, your faith is futile. The faith that you say you have in Christ, if Jesus is still dead, your faith is absolutely futile. End of verse 14, our preaching is vain, your faith is vain also. Same word, vain, same meaning, pointless. Doesn't matter how strong you say your faith is if Jesus is still dead. If Jesus is still dead, your faith is vain, it's pointless, it's futile. Your faith in Jesus, that He paid the penalty for your sin, and that He has defeated your greatest enemy of death, is pointless at the end of verse 14 if He remains dead. If Jesus is still dead, your faith merits you nothing. Your faith is built on nothing, and frankly, you are foolish for believing it. You're foolish for believing it. If Jesus is still dead, dead saviors don't merit your faith. Dead saviors still in the grave don't merit your faith. John Calvin said it this way, he cannot be the author of salvation to others who has been altogether vanquished by death. He can't be your salvation. He can't be the rock and cornerstone of your faith if He Himself has been eternally vanquished, defeated by death. Church, dead saviors do not merit your faith, but a risen Savior demands it. If Christ is alive, then there is a demand on the room this morning. And the demand for me, for you, for everyone hearing the Word of God this morning, the demand is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The call is because He has risen from the dead, turn from your sins. Turn from your best effort of getting to heaven and turn to Jesus and Him alone. And in Him, you will find life. Jesus is alive, church. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is coming again for His bride. He is coming again in judgment upon the world. Church, He is worthy of your faith. But only 
because he is risen. Thirdly, why does the resurrection really matter? The resurrection is necessary because if Jesus is still dead, we we misrepresent God. Or to say it another way, frankly, we're just liars. If Jesus is still dead, this is Paul's argument, then we misrepresent God. Verse 15, moreover, as if verse 14 wasn't enough, that preaching is pointless and your faith is pointless, here's some other reasons to think about. Moreover, we are found even to be false witnesses of God. And here's why, Paul says, because we've testified against God or about God that He raised Christ, whom He didn't raise if in fact the dead are not raised. You see Paul's argument here. We've been going around, we've been going around now for these decades telling people, believe in Jesus. Salvation is in Christ alone. It's not by the works of the law. Come to faith in Jesus because God raised Him from the dead. But if He's not raised from the dead, then we've just been misrepresenting God. Maybe the gravest of all sins. Misrepresenting God. If Jesus is still dead then we are liars. We are charlatans. We are fakes. You should not listen to us. Frankly, you should take us out in the streets and stone us to death. The apostles put their lives on the line. The saints throughout the ages The martyrs of antiquity have put their lives on the line. Not for a lie, church. Nobody does that. You might play that game for a little while, but when they're about to tie you to the stake and burn you to death, if you don't believe that, you'll back away from it pretty quickly. But Christ is not still in the tomb. He is alive. And we bear witness Not against God, but we bear witness to the truth of God and His Gospel. Fourthly, the resurrection is necessary because if Jesus is still dead, here's maybe the most poignant of all, church. If Jesus is still dead, so are we. If Jesus is still dead, so are we. Verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Here it is. You are still in your sins. Verse 16 is a restatement of verse 13. Verse 17, at least the beginning of verse 17, is a restatement of the end of verse 14. But at the end of verse 17, Paul adds for us what? If Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. You feel the weight of that, church? Feel the weight of that. Because dead saviors save no one. Dead saviors who stay dead. 
who are not victors over death and the grave, they save no one. Dead saviors have no victory over the grave and they can give you no victory over the grave. If Jesus is still dead, He is not the victor over sin and He is not the victor over sin's greatest consequence, which is death. Listen to what Paul would say in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, speaking of Christ, He who was delivered up because of our transgressions, speaking of being delivered up to a death on the cross and was raised because of or for our justification. We are not right with God if Jesus is still dead in the tomb. There's a weight to this that we must believe, that we must tell others. If Jesus is still dead, we're not right with God. However, church, Jesus is alive. And when God looks at the empty tomb, He shows us there proof that Jesus' death on the cross was in fact sufficient to pay for our sins. Or, as the Dutch theologian Herman Bavink once said, the empty tomb is the Father's amen to the Son's it is finished. It is the amen of the Father to raise His Son from the dead and to declare to us that what my Son, my only beloved Son, what He did on the cross, yes and amen, it really is finished. But if that tomb is still locked and sealed up, there's no amen. We are still dead. We are still in our sins. Fifthly, why is the resurrection of Jesus necessary? It's necessary because if there is no resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, there is no hope beyond the grave. If Jesus is still dead, then there is no hope beyond the grave. Verse 18, then Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who have fallen asleep, those who have already died. If Jesus is still dead, then that's just it for them. They're dead. You know, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, graveyards... Graveyards have become liars. Here's what I mean by that. Think about that really hard moment of being in a graveyard, the the weight, the sadness, the sorrow in that moment. And even on a, a perfectly clear and sunny day, when you go into a graveyard on the day of a funeral, there's a there's a burden upon your soul in that moment. And the graveyard is trying to speak a lie in that moment. Because as you enter into that graveyard and you're just surrounded by death, markers that tell of people who once lived and maybe just a blurb about them, 
Graveyards are telling the lie, this is all there is. You live, you get a few good years, and then you die. They bury you, they put a marker over you, and the world just kind of keeps on rolling. That's just it. But church, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that that is a, that, that is a lie. That is entirely false. We know that because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that means for all those who have died in Christ that they will be raised unto eternal life with Christ. But if Jesus is still dead, the lie of the graveyard's right. Church, do you see the, the necessity, all the connections, the beauty of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Those that you mourn over, maybe even on this day. Those that maybe you've lost in recent months or years. And there's still that pang of grief and sorrow in your heart. And you ask yourself, what is it that might be a salve upon my wounded heart? Beloved, it's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why every funeral has to proclaim the Gospel, by the way. Because it's only in the good news of a risen and returning Savior that we might find hope. If Jesus is still dead, the grave really is the end. Hey, Maybe even more awful than that, though, is that those who have died, if Jesus has not been raised, those who have died, they remain under God's eternal wrath they have upon them an eternal dying it's not just merely that they lived a few years and then died and ceased to exist no the bible makes abundantly clear to us that we live forever all of us do either in the good presence of the grace of God for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, or under the wrath of God as an eternal payment for our sins in a place called hell where the worm never dies. Even worse than just living and dying, and that's just it, is an eternal death that lingers beyond the grave. This is why, dear friends, if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as, as Savior, if you've not yet turned from your sins and placed your faith and trust in Christ to save you, you are, even though you might be perfectly healthy this morning, you are in grave danger. Because you are under, Scripture tells us, the wrath of God as a punishment for sin. And it is incumbent that you not only hear about a crucified and risen Savior, but that you believe. That you rest your whole hope for eternity upon Christ. Have you done that? You come to that place in your life. We'd love to talk to you. We'll stay all day if that's what it takes. To talk to you about how you might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior Finish it up in verse 19 with me. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If Jesus has not been raised, then when we die, 
That's just it. We're dead. There's no hope of resurrection unto eternal life. Any hope that we have for the future dies with our physical bodies. And beloved, that is no hope at all. If our hope dies with our physical bodies, verse 19 says, we are of all men most to be pitied. That, that phrase there, most to be pitied, it means we are full of misery. We are worthy of pity. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's not the poor, homeless stranger on the street corner that's most to be pitied. If we have hoped in Christ for this life only, and then that hope dies when we die, we are the ones that are worthy of pity and full of misery. But church, the empty grave, it's our hope. The empty grave is our hope. All that we have and all that we long for is contingent on an empty grave. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 tells us about that hope then. It does not disappoint. Friends, you will never, ever, ever be disappointed by having your hope firmly and deeply rooted in the risen Christ. You will not get to the end of your life. You will not stand in judgment and have the rug yanked out from under you, made to be a pitiable fool in that moment. No, this kind of hope, hope that is eternal, hope that is based on the solid rock of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, that hope will not, it cannot disappoint you. Because that hope is not based on you and it's not based on your circumstances. It's rooted in Christ. Much more then, having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. By His life. Church, the resurrection is necessary because without it, preaching is pointless. If Jesus is still in the dead, you can quit paying me, all right? I'm really thankful Jesus is alive for a whole lot of reasons. If Jesus is still dead, your faith, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's pointless. It's not going to bear fruit. You will get to heaven. If Jesus is still dead, you will stand before the judgment seat of God and there will be nothing to show for it. It doesn't matter how strongly you believe it. If your faith is not in a risen Savior, your faith is futile. If Jesus is still dead, I'm a liar. And all of you who attest to the resurrection, we're witnessing against God that He did something that He didn't actually do. Maybe most serious of all is that we're just still dead in our sins. If Christ is still dead, there's no hope beyond the grave. There's no hope that you'll see that 
believing family member again. There's no hope that you'll bear through the sorrows and the struggles of this life and not be rewarded for it in the next. There's just there's no hope if Christ is still dead. End with me in the final verses of 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. What does He do, church? Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain as you leave this place, church, and as you serve the kingdom, and as you make the gospel of Jesus Christ known, isn't there a great comfort in knowing that because of the resurrection, your labor in the Lord is never in vain? God is going to use you for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom because of and through our risen Savior. Let's pray together this morning. Oh God, we thank You that in just these few verses, God, our our hope is shown to be just deeply rooted in Christ. And God, there, there are countless other moments in Your Word. Father, where we're just being drawn. Our gaze is being caused to be fixed upon the risen Christ. So God, my hope and my prayer, God, is that Your Spirit would continue to work into the hearts of Your people to open up more and more and more the truths of Your Word to show the beauty and the necessity of a risen Savior. God, that we as the church Oh God, that we would live out this Gospel. That we would proclaim this Gospel with great hope and and, and certainty. Not in our ability to make it known. Not in our ability to make it clear. Not in our ability to affect power. But 
God, that we would proclaim it in the power of the resurrected Christ. Lord, I pray this morning for those that might be in the room that, that they, don't, they don't know Christ. They've heard some things about Him. They know that this day is somehow affiliated with Him and, and what He's done, but there's not a personal relationship there. God, they've not yet come to a point where they have turned from their sins, where they have trusted by faith in Christ, where they have God, had their affections and their longings and their desires changed. God, would You be gracious and do that in them today? God, would You give them the gift of faith so that they would no longer believe the lie, but God, that they would believe the truth of Your Word. And God, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. So God, as the church stands triumphant to sing together once again of the sufficiency of Christ, God, cause Your Spirit to move in our hearts. God, give the one in the room such a longing to come to faith in Christ that they would linger after this moment. That they would pull someone aside and get answers to their questions. And God, as we sing the song of victorious triumph as Your church, God, may we love You so, so deeply, O oh God. May we be so thankful in our hearts. And God, may You continue to receive all the praise, the honor, and the glory. Through Christ our Lord we pray it. Amen.